Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. All right, so we're in the season of Advent leading up to Christmas, and Advent means coming. That's what we're talking about. It reminds us of a time, the time we're living in is a time of preparation and hope. But it's also a time of waiting, an in-between time. Kind of like the times in our lives when maybe you can remember this, when you were waiting for that ring or when you were waiting for that special person that you could get down on one knee and they would accept your proposal. Or maybe the waiting that you do for a relationship that's strained, that you just long for that broken relationship to be reconciled. Or, or maybe it's just longing for God to change things at work or, or to bring healing in your lives. We live in a time that's like putting two pictures side by side. There's a picture of God's work today in the world that makes us want to sing and celebrate that, that, that peace on earth and goodwill to, to humanity. And, and yet there's this another picture beside that, that of racial unrest and drug addiction and sorrow and death. It's such a pervasive thing in our world of sadness. There's both promise and pain. And for many of us who are followers of Jesus, we long for that second Christmas when Jesus comes back. But... What we're talking about through this series is how do we respond in this time as we're waiting for that second Christmas? Last week, we talked about how waiting is a lot like Advent and life of kids and Christmas and gifts and the gifts are wrapped under the tree and put there for days, maybe even weeks before, but they can't open them. It isn't Christmas, right? The gift is there, but they can't open it quite yet, which actually made me spend a little time thinking about other gifts. Here are some of the not so popular uh, gifts or popular gifts that aren't so traditional that, that give us a little bit of a surprise. Like uh, maybe you want to live with more light in your darkest moments. So uh, you want a lighted toilet seat. This is practical, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's beautiful too. It's, you wake up in the middle of the night. Who wants to turn all the lights on to go to, to go to the bathroom, right? And then, then, then be blinded while you walk, completely unable to see anything on the way back to bed and stub your toe on something, or you just can't go back to sleep because of the lights on. This is very practical. Here's my actual favorite non-traditional gift from last year. My daughter, Elise, bought me this mug. That's actually hot chocolate left over the picture of, from, from Christmas Eve last year. It is amazing hot chocolate. I was so glad I got to take a little bit of the extra home last week. You'd actually be surprised how comfortable that is. I mean, it fits really well in the hand. It feels really stable. It's a great, great cup. Or, or how about maybe the selfie toaster? You can wake up every day to eat yourself or a family member with butter and jelly every single day. Or maybe you just want a little more fun and laughter in the household, so you want to catch those Pavlov's dogs moments, so you're going to get the Furbo treat-tossing dog camera that you can control from your iPhone. (laughs) Or maybe you want to live uh, a gift like this, uh, the ostrich pillow. It helps you shut down and sleep undistracted whenever and wherever you want in life. I find it kind of interesting. Many people don't actually like to talk about the second Christmas, Jesus returning again. I think it's because we often find it hard to deal with the deferred 
hope of waiting for Jesus' return in the face of the sickness and the the suffering, the death, the evil, the disappointment that we experience in today's world. And, And we struggle also with the Bible talking about that in terms of this term, the day of the Lord. It refers to the second return of Jesus. And and the questions, will we be ready for that? What do we need to be to do to be ready for that? And and I think oftentimes we live around this topic like we have an ostrich pillow on our head. The day of the Lord, though, is a day of tremendous comfort and hope. First Thessalonians 4 says it this way. It says, For the Lord Jesus himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And Paul adds to this in two other passages in 1 Corinthians 15 and Philippians 3 that Jesus' appearing will result in you and I and all of creation being transformed from our mortal struggling with sin bodies into that which is incorruptible, free of sin, and death will be no more. But Jesus' return, the day of the Lord, is also a day of judgment. And we don't like to talk about that. We prefer to just talk about the love of God. But but the simple reality is there can be no love without justice. And there can be no right, there can be no justice without judgment of that which is wrong, can there be? First Thessalonians 5 talks about this. It says, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction, then judgment will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. Revelation 19 pictures Jesus coming back with the armies of heaven with him and to conquer and set all things right and bring final judgment. And it adds to that description of what we just talked about, how Jesus will be dressed as he rides his white horse is the imagery being given in Revelation. And it says he will be dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is the word of God. And it goes on to figuratively describe the judgment of God ending with this. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Meaning, in the end, all other rulers, all other authorities will be abolished. And Jesus... will reign as the only king and only Lord. For those of you who have chosen to follow Jesus for who he is as king of kings and Lord of lords, there's no fear. We are forgiven. We are covered from the judgment by the blood of Jesus shed. That's what that image of his blood-soaked robe is telling us. There is no fear for those who have been forgiven. Think of it this way. Jesus came to provide a way to live in the love of God, to be free of the fear of judgment. And Jesus' humble birth, his life, his cruel death, his glorious resurrection are the beginning of a revolution that will culminate in the final judgment and the final restoration of creation to all that it was originally intended to be, pure, beautiful, and perfect. Jesus took upon himself the judgment that all of humanity is due for our rebellion. He shed his own blood, which is the stain on his robe, that all shame 
and even death itself will be gone in order to overcome the powers of the world and launch God's intended restoration project to return everything to new, perfect creation. And it's interesting, the teaching of the New Testament through Jesus and all of the other books in the Bible of the New Testament, this is a a consistent theme. And it reminds us that we're to be living with an awareness of this second Christmas all throughout the year. Kind of reminds me of a song. Can anybody sing it for me? Because I can't remember how to sing it right. At Christmas all throughout the year. Sorry. At the second Christmas, Jesus returns as king in all of his glory. And so that's what we want to explore today. What, and I think we're going to talk about it in three different ways of how this king idea is highlighted. The first one is, is really simple, maybe sounds too obvious. Jesus was born a king. Matthew 2, verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. The wise men referred to Jesus as king while yet a toddler. And there is actually comfort, isn't there, in associating each Christmas with the manger and and the baby Jesus and the stable, and there's so much beauty and meaning in that, and it's good as it should be. But sometimes I think we tend to choose who we want Jesus to be rather than who he really is in his fullness, kind of like this little comedy sketch portrays. Look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. (sighs) Dear tiny Jesus, your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled-up fist pawing. He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I win the races and I get the money. Ricky, finish the damn grace. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo T-shirt because it says, like, I want to be formal, but I'm here to party, too. Because I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. I like to think of Jesus, like, with giant eagle's wings and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with, like, an angel band. And I'm in the front row, and I'm hammered drunk. Hey, Cal, why don't you just shut up? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Dear eight-pound, six-ounce, newborn infant Jesus, don't even know a word yet, just a little infant, so cuddly, Mm. but still omnipotent. Mm. We just thank you for all the races I've won and $21.2 million. Woo! 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 Ow! Love that money! Oh, man. I think my favorite is the Ninja Jesus. And that's cool, right? We want that. Actually, we all love the baby Jesus, don't we? And I, actually, some of, us, I love, some of us love the baby Jesus a little bit too much. And I, I, this may sound sacrilegious, but nativity scenes at this time of year bring out the prankster side of my wife, Wendy. For some reason, whenever she sees baby Jesus in a manger, she has this overwhelming urge to, she says, borrow. Others would say, steal baby Jesus. And it's not out of disrespect, and she always returns the figure. She never keeps it, but, but she says, who can resist the baby Jesus? 
Now, so far, she's only taken them from people she knows really well, but this proclivity of Wendy's is well enough known that when Greg was setting up the nativity scene this year, he texted Jeremy, Wendy, and I this picture warning Wendy that he had a picture of baby Jesus just in case an Amber Alert needed to be put out for baby Jesus. And we almost had to put out Amber Alert out a week and a week ago last Friday because Wendy came to the church then and and she was going to borrow baby Jesus, but she was thwarted in her attempt because baby Jesus was frozen to the manger. <laughs> and she didn't want to take both. There's comfort in the baby Jesus, isn't there? Jesus is approachable. He's kind. He, he's gracious. He, he meets us where we're at. But just... Just because Jesus came cooing and not conquering, let's, let's not be fooled. He's still the king of kings. In the most classic Christmas passage out of Scripture read every year, we hear it in Charlie Brown's Christmas, and we hear it at almost every Christmas Eve service. Luke writes this. He says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went out to their own town to, the, to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David, for he belonged to the house and the line of David. He, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While there, they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. See, God goes to great lengths in sending Jesus into the world to show you and I that he's coming for every single one of us, from the most powerful to the least powerful, from the most intelligent to the least intelligent, from the wealthiest to the poorest. He comes not in a palace or a home or even an inn, but in a cold, dark cave turned into a stable for common animals. No fancy clothes or furniture, rather wrapped in rags and placed in a manger. See, the King of Kings who loves you and I so much comes that real, that approachable, showing us his love for everyone and how close he wants to be to every single one of us. Luke is writing this down from all of his eyewitness accounts, including interviews with Jesus' mother, Mary, and starts writing the account in such a way, it's kind of interesting. He contrasts Caesar and Jesus. Caesar, the ruler, the god of the Roman Empire, the hope of all the peoples, and all of his pomp and circumstance and wealth and power, and yet Jesus would rather come in a stable to do what it takes so that you could be convinced deep down in your thoughts, deep down in your heart and your soul that God loves you, that God wants to meet you right where you're at, no matter where that is. And he wants to love you and he wants to help you and he wants to heal you and he wants to make you whole. He wants you to grow stronger and better. See, when you wonder if God cares, when you wonder if God is really pursuing you or if he's just pursuing those other people who are better than me, I want you to think about this passage. The text goes on. It says, and there were shepherds living out on the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy 
for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. See, these words are describing uh, the words that were commonly actually used to announce Caesar's coming. Good news, great joy, Savior, Lord, glory. See, the Romans believed the gods had chosen Caesar to save them and deliver them. And here is Jesus, the King of kings, Lord of lords, coming into history. And he's announced to shepherds, lowly shepherds by angels, using those same words. This baby, the angels are saying, means that your waiting is not in vain. Your pain is not lost on him. He came and he experienced life just as you and I experience it. And actually more than any one of us individuals has ever experienced in terms of suffering and difficulty and pain. God came to us right where we are at because he loves us and he has compassion on us. Here's another truth that this uh, idea of the king comes out and it's this, Jesus died a king. Now, it might seem strange to talk about Jesus' death at Christmas. It's not Good Friday. And when you think of a a king dying, you generally think of defeat. But in this case, because this king, it's not defeat because this king didn't stay dead. Jesus coming in the way he did and, and dying the way he did caught everybody off guard. So how many of you have ever been driving? along and all of a sudden you see flashing lights in your rear view mirror and, and, and you hope they're going to pass you, but then you realize they're not. They're there for you. Okay. Now, I, I'm sorry. I know that some of you probably felt that angst and that adrenaline pop up that you felt in that moment right, right today as well. But one of my favorite videos to watch uh, this time of year is coming on Facebook and YouTube on a number of places is a video of police at Christmas going around in poverty-stricken areas. And the people think they're getting pulled over and getting a ticket or something worse is sort of happening. And instead, the police actually give them gifts of food or gift cards. See, instead of getting what they think they deserve, they're getting an unexpected, undeserved gift. And 2,000 years ago, flashing lights got the attention of the shepherds. And many in that time, all they had was for God was a fear of God's wrath because that's who they believed God was. But when they were about to receive in that moment an undeserved, unexpected gift. See, while God sees all, he sees Everything we do, we need to realize something. God is in your corner. He's pulling for you. He's not there primarily to talk about your faults and your sins. You don't need that. You don't need somebody to say you're going to hell. You need somebody to lead you to heaven. You need somebody to believe the best in you and give the best for you. And that's exactly what Jesus did in coming as a baby king and dying for you, giving his best for you because he believed in you so much 
that he considered the price of torture and death worth paying, all for the joy of being able to see you forgiven, of you experiencing and receiving his love, of, of him saving you, of him healing you, of restoring you, even when you don't deserve it. Do you ever feel stuck in life? Stuck in the brokenness of your own stuff that you can't seem to ever get past and unable to overcome that sin and the failures that keep cropping up or maybe stuck in the brokenness of people around you, unable to fully live the dream you want because other people are in the way in their brokenness. See, because Jesus came 2,000 years ago, we can live with a confident trust in his promise that he's going to come again. And when Jesus comes again, he's going to finish setting the course of history and changing it, finish resolving the sin and the defects in our world, in your bodies, in your character, in our character, in our thinking, because this God who came the first time as king gave everything so that you and I and this world don't have to be forever stuck in the weakness and brokenness we now struggle with. See, Jesus is the king with the power to save us, to get us unstuck and moving in the right direction. He's the king who understands where you live each and every day because he lived and he died there as well. Your pain, your loss, your grief does not go unnoticed. Your waiting is not in vain. See, one of the reasons people miss Jesus, I think, the first time he came to earth is because even though he's the king of kings, he never actually picked up his trump card and put his crown on his head. See, when he was mocked, he, he didn't take out his crown of authority and condemn people and assert his right. He didn't assert his power to condemn. He, he didn't even respond to people's demands to, when they, they wanted to make him king. Remember the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and then there were basketfuls left over and the people were in awe and that, that wonderful miracle happened. And, and what happened? Do you remember? They came, the Bible says people came to Jesus wanting to make him king and he could have justifiably responded to their request by saying, yes, I'll do that and taken authority. But he didn't. He could have put a crown on in his, his head at any point in his life. It could have been his get-out-of-jail-free card any time he wanted, but he didn't do that. Instead, he chose a better way. He chose the crown of thorns. He could have talked his way out of the pain and suffering at any time with Pilate or the other people, but Jesus chose not to. It's interesting when you see Jesus before Pilate in John 19 being unjustifiably accused of crimes worthy of death, being asked by Pilate to defend himself because Pilate himself even suspects that these are trumped-up charges from jealous, insecure people. And Jesus doesn't answer. So what you see in that text is Pilate gets right up in Jesus' grill and he says, what, you refuse to even answer me? Don't you realize I have the power to free you or crucify you? And only then does Jesus answer. And Jesus looks back at Pilate with a confident settledness of heart. And this is what he says in verse 11. You would have no power over me if it were not given you from above. In other words, Jesus is saying, Pilate, you're not taking my life. I'm 
giving my life. And now at the end of Jesus' life, as Jesus hung on the cross, a crown of thorns on his bleeding head and a sign hung above him that read, King of the Jews, Jesus chose to take on this crown of thorns instead of a human royal crown because he knew that taking this crown, by taking this crown, he could take all the crud of the sin of my life and free me. And he could take any sin you could ever commit or think of committing, and he could forgive you and heal you of the damage of that sin if you'll simply turn to him and receive him as your Lord and your King. So Jesus stayed on the cross when he could have come down. And why did he do that? Because he loves you. He loves you. Charles Sell, an author of Unfinished Business years ago, wrote this. He says, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a Savior. And that makes all the difference in the world for every single one of us who have swallowed our pride and we've made Jesus the Savior and the King of our lives. Jesus the one who conquered death, that one who came as a baby, walked with humanity for 30 years to show how much God loves you and how much God wants to be part of your life. And finally, Jesus is coming back as King of Kings. How many of you have been to the Library of Congress? Maybe you've seen this in person then. Above the figure of history is this inscription defining the focus of history, and it says this, one God, one law, one element, and one far-off divine event to which the whole of creation moves. See, this once revered, all-consuming belief now overlooked and all too often unvalued that all of creation is moving toward Jesus coming back as king. And the amazing thing is in the meantime, the death and resurrection of Jesus and the sending of the Holy Spirit to all those who follow him gives us a way for God to become personal to us right now and powerful in each one of our lives right now. The more we learn to be led by the Holy Spirit, the more we learn to submit to the King's Spirit leading us, the more God works through you and I to break into our current reality and the reality of our friends and the life of our community and our nation. See, the second Christmas, the coming of our King, gives us hope to face today that God will never leave you or forsake you and God will carry you through whatever you face and that God, through you, can do powerfully miraculous things through each and every one of us. So prior to Jimmy Fallon and Jay Leno, Johnny Carson was the king of late-night television. I say that for all of you people who never knew that name because you've only grown up with Leno and Fallon. He was actually there from 62 to 92 as the host of The Tonight Show. And over the course of his career, he interviewed uh, many times Billy Graham, the greatest preacher of the last century and the most trusted spiritual advisor to presidents who was uh, an advisor from everybody from Harry Truman all the way to Obama. Carson was not a religious man. And during the lull in one of the interviews with Billy Graham, he began to share what came out of his mind. And that night what came out was he was talking about all the evil and the despair and the difficult stuff in the world. And Carson said this. He said, if Jesus ever came back to earth, 
I bet we'd do them in again. And Billy Graham leaned forward in his chair and responded saying, you know, Johnny, the Bible predicts that Jesus will come again. But the first time he came in love, the second time he's going to come in power and no one will do him in. And that really sums up the hope of Advent, anticipating Jesus' return, not as a defenseless baby in a manger of straw, but as what we long for, the King of Kings coming to end the madness that is so much within us and around us in this world. And because of the great patience and tender, vulnerable love he showed that first Christmas, we can look forward to that second Christmas without fear as followers of Jesus with great anticipation and joy, a day of standing before our maker and and giving account for our lives. But that means Being a follower of Jesus demands more than belief. The Advent season reminds us that we must receive him as that baby king, the king of all kings, the king who is king over every area of our lives, bar none. We are all in. Every single part of our life is surrendered to his leadership. I want you to Use your imagination here for a moment and think what that day will be like when Jesus returns and and the feelings you might be feeling in that moment. As the scripture portrayed earlier, that that, that you'll hear a noise from heaven that you've never heard before. You'll you'll see a blinding light across the entire sky on the trumpet of God sounding and and you'll see Jesus coming in all of his glory with the angels accompanying him and and then it's going to get quiet, a kind of a a worshipful awe kind of quiet. Even the angels are going to be quiet. And then Jesus is going to shout with a loud, clear voice that everyone in the world can hear and he's going to say, no more. No more heart disease, no more cancer, no more terrorists, no more sexual abuse, no more unfaithfulness, no more divorce, no more gossip, no more body odor, no more love handles, no more acne, no more diabetes, no more starvation, no more embarrassing moments, no more funeral homes. No more pink slips. No more foreclosures or bankruptcies. No more cheating. No more natural disasters. No more depression. No more suicide. No more anxiety or bitterness. No more injustice. No more racism. No more. And then he's going to shout, I'm making all things new. This Advent, we celebrate that, the birth of Jesus and the coming of Jesus again. So let's prepare for this second Christmas by receiving and following this King, by pursuing being led and empowered by this King's Spirit, by giving our hearts, our minds, our time, our treasure, all of it to Him for the sake of bringing as much glory to our loving God as possible by the way we live our lives during Advent and throughout all of the year. So I, I want to just give you one more thing to help you connect with God. I want to invite all of you, ex- except for Wendy, she can't do this, 
to a tactile worship experience over the holidays. If you've got a manger scene, I want you to take the baby Jesus from the manger scene. And I want you to hold the figurine in your hand. And I want you to allow this tactile connection to help you ponder what it would have been like to see and to hold the baby Jesus, this King of Kings, and what he would become throughout his life and what he was due. Born a king, died a king, our coming king. And I want you to just ask the Holy Spirit to come to you in that moment. I want to ask him to touch your heart and deepen your understanding of how God wants to change your trust in him and how he wants to think about, how he wants you to think about him in your daily life. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, we recognize you as the King of kings and Lord of lords, but I also recognize in my own heart, and and I think we all recognize how we make you into our own image of what we want you to be. Lord, we like the baby Jesus, or or we like the Jesus who goes to parties and and is real, as close as a friend to us, and and we like the ninja Jesus, and we like the love Jesus, but, but Lord, you are all those things, and you are so much more. Father, you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. I pray that you'd help us to bow and to honor you in that way with everything we have, with our entire being. And the Lord, through each one of our lives, you would bring great glory to you, the King of kings and Lord of lords. We worship you. I'm going to invite you to continue to worship through song and through communion. As we worship and celebrate communion, we revel in the profound love, the profound justice of God who sent Jesus to live and die so that justice would be accomplished, but that he could give us freedom through forgiveness. He came living among us to show us who God was and how to follow him. And that's what we celebrate when we, when we take the bread, his body, in communion. And he spilled his blood and he still wears it on his robe even when he comes back to tell us how safe we are in his forgiveness. How he spilled and gave the very last ounce of his life so that you would know there is absolutely nothing Nothing that cannot be forgiven and healed and changed in your life. So come as we worship and celebrate communion. I'm just struck by one thing that I feel like God wants to say to us today. We like the Christmas Jesus We love the Jesus who has compassion on the adulterous woman and who treats the the poorest of the poor with grace and kindness. And some of you have been following that Jesus, and that is who Jesus is. But Jesus is more than that. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And some of you, you're finding yourself in your walk with Christ being a little more distant, maybe less passionate than you used to be. You're really struggling with it at times. 
And I think God is saying to you this morning, it's because there's an area of your life I've been talking to you about, and you know what this area is, where you haven't made me king yet. I don't know what that area is. Maybe it's, maybe it's bitterness you're holding on to. Bitterness towards the church or bitterness to a, towards a Christian in the past that, that make you stay distant from Christ and distant from his church. Maybe it's, maybe it's bitterness towards somebody that you hate. And, and God's saying, if, if I'm your king, then you need to be like me and you need to forgive them. And he needed to make me king in that area of your life and move forward. For some of you, maybe you've been around church all your life and, and church has been about morality and about, it hasn't been about relationship. Or, or maybe for you, it has been about relationship and feeling good and encouragement, but, but there's something that you've never chosen to do and that is to just say, I'm all in. I'm 100% in every area of my life, my finances, my marriage, my life, my work, my free time, my entertainment, what I like to do, I'm all in. And Jesus, you can be king of that and you can change whatever that you want me to change, want me to change. I just encourage you to respond to him like that. He's going to be pursuing you now. He's already pursuing you with grace and kindness that we none of us deserve. But until you make that choice to make him king, you're never going to walk into the fullness of what he has for you. So if you need to respond to that word today, however that means, if that means you're for the first time saying, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm all in, he's going to be Lord of my life, or if that means I'm going to, I'm going to get back involved in, in leading and serving and giving my gifts through the church because I'm going to give up my bitterness for over the church hurting me in the past and I'm just going to stop that and I'm going to follow him as king, then whatever it is, take that step today. Turn to a friend next to you and tell them you're doing it and pray with them or come down front and pray with one of the people here before we leave. And as we dismiss, I also want to invite you, if you haven't put your five on the tree, come down, there's markers, there's ornaments, and just write those names on there. Ask God to give you the pleasure of showing them how much he loves them and put them on the tree and we're going to pray for them, continue to pray for them each week. God bless. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.